for tonight. We're in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read the first 11 verses, so follow along with me as I read. And this is Paul writing, the Apostle Paul, who wrote nearly two-thirds of the New Testament. And he says this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Now, he's not talking about little dogs, all right? You know, if, it, if he was talking about little animals, he'd probably say cats. Beware of cats, but... Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised on the eighth day, he goes through this list, his his Jewish pedigree, if you will, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But verse 7 is key here. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him." Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you tonight, and we want to hear from you tonight, Lord, so we commit our Bible study to you now. I pray that you would, you would use me, that you would speak through me, Lord, as your vessel tonight. Open our hearts to hear from you. Open up our minds to receive what you would want us to learn tonight through the teaching of your word. I just pray for your protection over tonight, Lord. I, I do pray for a Redskins victory. God, we need it. We need this one. Um, just bring us, bring us a championship, Lord. And and we just commit this night to you, God, and we commit the, the fellowship to you. I pray that you would unite us, Lord, that we would not be divided, but that you would bring us uh, into a, a united group, Lord, under the headship of Jesus Christ. That is my prayer for our group tonight and for this ministry. That we love you, Lord, and we, we pray that you would speak to us now through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. So I want to walk us through these, these 11 verses here. There's a couple of different principles and points I want, us to, I want us to be aware of as we walk through these 11 verses, starting with, obviously, verse 1. Verse 1 is huge. It's key. Finally, my brethren, my brothers, my sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Paul starts this third chapter off by telling his uh, Jesus' followers, by telling the church here at Philippi, he, he tells them to rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, the Greek, Paul is writing in the Greek, the Greek word is the, the word Cairo, rejoice, Cairo. An obvious form of the word rejoice is the word joy. It's the Greek word kara. If your name is kara, it means joy in the Greek. It's a beautiful name. So Paul is writing here in the Greek and he uses that word Cairo, rejoice. Now, joy, it means this calm delight, this calm delight. Okay, nothing fake or superficial. Um, you know, it, joy is more of a church word. Uh, it's, you know, the, the word that we kind of use outside the church is happiness. So we talk about joy and happiness. But what's important for us to understand is that joy and happiness are two very different things. We need to understand that. Joy is not happiness and happiness is not joy, even though we sometimes use those two words interchangeably. Okay, Paul uses the word 
joy here. Now, happiness and joy are different. Why? Well, because happiness is circumstantial. Happiness is dependent upon our circumstances. Joy supersedes our circumstances. Joy is something that is eternal. But happiness is very circumstantial. Uh, You know, I'm happy because I got a, a, a raise at the job. Yeah, I'm happy because I got a job promotion. I'm happy because the, the NFL season is here. You know, I'm, I'm happy because, um, my, my, I, I got vanilla ice cream last night and it was delicious. You know, we're, we're happy because, because of our circumstances. Happiness is dependent upon circumstances, but joy supersedes those circumstances. So when Paul here uses the word rejoice, it's not some kind of candy coated, superficial, fake form of happiness. Paul is in jail. Paul is writing this from prison. All right, his circumstance is not so good. His circumstances is not the best. But yet he still reminds the church, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And some of us ask the question, well, how, how am I supposed to live my life for the Lord with my different trials and my different tribulations? You know, I've got physical trials. I've got financial trials. I've got relational trials. I I go through different struggles in life, and how am I supposed to continue living this life for the Lord? Well, it's, it's key to understand the definition of joy, because as a follower of Christ, it doesn't mean joy, the definition. It doesn't mean that we rejoice in our trials, that we rejoice because of our trials, but we rejoice in the Lord who desires to change us through our trials to become more like his son Jesus. That is the true definition of joy. That despite our circumstances, despite my uh, relational and financial difficulty and my, uh, my, my struggles in this life, despite my circumstances, I'm still able to fully rejoice in the Lord. And this is what I want us to understand for tonight. One of the points is that true joy is found in the never-changing God, not your ever-changing circumstances. Because hear me on this. Our circumstances in life will constantly change. If you haven't figured that out by now, your circumstances in life are going to constantly be changing through relationships and through your uh, career. Um, your family's going to change. Through life, you will never experience a, a point in life, You know, maybe for a short period of time, things stay consistent and things stay the same. But as you move through this life, your circumstances will constantly change. And if you are putting your joy and you are seeking to find true happiness and true fulfillment in your circumstances, let me tell you, it's going to come and go because your circumstances come and go. And I don't say this to trivialize your situation or your struggle or your circumstance, uh, but I simply say this because I see a lot of us young adults, what we do is we put so, we put so much stock in our circumstance. I'm in this awesome relationship. I'm making this great paycheck. I have this great job. My circumstance right now is awesome. And we put so much, we put so much of our identity, so much stock in that circumstance. And when that, when that relationship goes or when that circumstance changes, it paralyzes us. We don't know what to do. We can't function. Now, I'm not saying you can't be discouraged or, or sad or depressed about, you know, our good things going. But what I am saying is that if, if you are putting so much stock and so much of who you are into your current circumstance, it's eventually going to your circumstance change. And what I don't want to see happen is it just completely paralyzes where you are. You can't function. You can't go to, 
your friends, you can't come to church anymore, you can't do life like you used to because that one circumstance in your life, it changed and now it just paralyzed all of who you are. You can't, you can't do anything anymore. And when you are at that point, you know, I put too much of who I am into that. Because Paul here, his circumstance, man, look at the life of Paul. His circumstance changed all the time. Where he was and who he was with. I mean, he's writing this letter from prison, like I mentioned. But yet he can still write this letter. And he reminds the church, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. So true joy is found in the never-changing God. Because God is the one thing in your life that will never change. He is that constant in your life that you can continually depend on and go for. For everything. All of who you are. So put your stock in Him. Put your trust in Him. Find your true joy and self in the Lord. Because He is never changing as opposed to your circumstances. Which will constantly be changing as you move through life. So this is what Paul says. This is how he starts his his chapter here, rejoice in the Lord. Now he tells the Philippian church to rejoice for two reasons. The first is as a way of worship. Rejoice in the Lord as a way of worship. Worship the Lord despite your circumstances. Your circumstances will change. Rejoice in him. But he also tells the Philippian church to rejoice in the Lord as a word of warning. He cautions them. He says, don't rejoice in yourself. Don't rejoice in your own works and your own achievements and your own accomplishments. And that's why he says in verse 2 here, he says, Beware of the dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Now, who are these dogs that Paul's talking about? You know, he's not talking about literal dogs. Uh, is he talking about the Gentiles? You know, in the New Testament, oftentimes the Jews, in a derogatory sense, they referred to a Gentile, anyone who wasn't a Jew, as, as dogs. Uh, he's not talking about Gentiles, though. Who Paul is referring to when, he's, when he says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the mutilation, he's talking about a Jewish sect known as the Judaizers. Now, the Judaizers, as opposed to, you know, you, you heard of those Jewish sects like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Okay, the Judaizers actually did believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah. But the Judaizers also said, if you want to be saved... You have to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but you also have to follow all of the Jewish regulations. You have to follow all of the Old Testament law. You have to be circumcised. You have to become a Jew. If you want to be saved, go to Jesus Christ, accept him as your savior, in addition to becoming a Jew. And Paul comes along and he says, hold up now. Don't rejoice in becoming a Jew. Don't rejoice in all of your works and all of your accomplishments. All right, the Judaizers, they were saying, do this, do that, do this. But Jesus was saying, Paul was saying, no, Jesus, he already stretched out his arms and he said, done. It is finished. So the Judaizers, while they were saying, Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus following the Jewish regulations, Paul was saying, no, it's Jesus plus nothing. Okay, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Some, in some circles of the church, um, Christians, and you know, I use that term lightly because I, I believe it is a, a heretical thing to add on to the gospel. Some circles of the church will say that if you want to be saved, it's Jesus plus being baptized. I don't know if any of you came from a church background like that. Jesus plus baptism. Or in some churches, it's Jesus plus speaking in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not a believer because speaking in tongues is the true evidence that you are a believer. But listen, once you add to the plain and simple gospel, Of Jesus only, you have now made it a man-made system, 
a works-oriented approach to salvation. Paul comes along, he says, beware of those dogs, beware of those evil workers, beware of the mutilation. All right, now the mutilation is just a, a, a term for the circumcisers, all right? The, the Message Bible, I find this funny. It says Paul says uh, in the Message translation, which I don't like as a translation, but it says, uh, beware of those knife-happy circumcisers. <laughs> That's great. You know, there, there are a few ways that I would hate to die. The first is by being eaten alive by a great white shark. I mean, that is one of my worst fears. I don't want to go that way, I pray. Lord, please. The other way is by being burned alive. I don't want to be burned alive. That sounds like, honestly, the worst, worst death possible. Uh, I, I don't want to be mauled by a demon-possessed clown. That, that sounds like the scariest way to go. But above all, above all, the last way I would want to die is by being chased by a knife-happy circumciser. I'm just telling you. It sounds like just the... I'm going to move on. So Paul, he's kind of calling these guys out. Beware of those dogs, those evil workers, those mutilators. He's basically saying, in short, beware of anyone who tries to tell you that you can attain your salvation through your works and through your own accomplishments, through your own achievements. And we do this all the time with God. We do this all the time. God, we take all of our good things to God. God, I've done this, and we pat ourselves on the back. God, I did this. I did this for you. How am I doing? Have I received your favor yet? Have I received your love yet? And we do this all the time. And we go to God with with our accomplishments and we think that that's gained us some kind of favor or merit with God over someone else. And we play this game because our culture is so competitive and our performance dictates how we're viewed in our boss's eyes. And so our performance then dictates how we think we're viewed in God's eyes. God, I've been performing pretty well for you, right? I walked that grandma across the street. I'm doing, doing pretty well. And then we go to God and we think that that's attained some kind of favor or merit or salvation with him. And God says, listen, if you, if you want to play this game and you want to come to me and say that and give me your good list, it's going to fall short every time because the Bible says if you've broken one law, you've broken them all. And that's why Paul then goes on in verse 4. He kind of gives us his Jewish pedigree here. He says in in verse 3, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. And he says, I kind of picture Paul saying this with a little pop to his collar, a little bit of swag here. He says, verse 4, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So Paul presents then his Jewish credentials. And he, he goes through them. And the first is, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm just going to walk, walk us through. Why, why, is this, why is this such a big deal, Paul? Why does Paul present us this list? You know, in our Americanized, westernized eyes, this doesn't seem too impressive. Like, okay, Paul, this is cool for you, but I, I don't really get it here. All right, in Paul's day, this pedigree, this was pretty impressive right here. So he walks them through his Jewish resume here. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Every Jewish boy was circumcised on the eighth day. That's when you were initiated into the covenant people. That's when you received your name. So he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Number two, he says, I was an Israelite. All right, I'm of the people of God by whom he chose to send the Messiah through. He says, number three, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. 
Now, the tribe of Benjamin was one of the most, if not the most prominent tribe of all of Israel. The very first king of Israel, King Saul, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. And then he says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, a lot of Jews at this time, they were being Hellenized, which means that they were assimilating themselves into the Greco-Roman culture, and they were adopting the traditions of the Greeks and Romans. But Paul's saying, no, I, I clung to my Hebrew roots. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Number five, he said he was a Pharisee. Now, if you were a Pharisee, you had reached the pinnacle of Judaism. All right, the, the Pharisees were the most devout Jewish people to the law of Moses and all 613 laws. So he says, I was a Pharisee. And then he says, I persecuted the church. Now, why is this a cool thing? Well, to Jews, persecuting the church was a good thing because the church, uh, the Jews considered the church to be blasphemous. Because the church is now claiming that this Jesus guy, that he's God, and that was blasphemous to Jewish ears, saying this just Jesus guy is not God. And so Paul, out of his zealous, uh, out of his zealous heart, he, he persecuted the church. And then he said, number seven, he said, I was blameless. Right? Not that he was sinless. Paul later says in the New Testament that he was the chief of sinners, but that he was blameless. He said, if you looked at my life on the outside, if anybody kind of looked at my behavior, observed me, said I was faultless. I followed all of the Jewish regulations to a T. I followed all of the Mosaic law to a T. I followed all of the Old Testament to a T. I was blameless. Then I want you guys to read verse 7. Verse 7, he says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Paul says, This list here, my Jewish pedigree, consider it worthless. I consider it all a loss for Christ. Now, why does Paul bring this up? Because Paul's basically saying, listen, if we get to heaven based on all the good we do, if we're playing a comparison game here, you know, I'm better than you kind of a game here, he said, I've got you, I've got, I've got all you guys beat. But now I consider all of this garbage. I consider all of it worthless. I consider all of it loss for the excellence of what Christ did for me. Because everything that Jesus Christ did for me completely far outweighs my list. My list of stuff. He says, it's not who I am, it's who Jesus is. Paul lists seven items in which he once placed his identity, his validation, his acceptance, his worth, his trust, and his, his value in. Paul lists these seven things and he says, this is what I used to identify myself as. This is what I've placed my trust in. This is what I've placed my worth in. This is, this is who I was. So a question for you is, what's your list? What's your list? Because when we begin to analyze our own lists, we have to ask ourselves the question, what in my life, if it were gone tomorrow, would I then not feel like I matter anymore? What in my life, if it were taken away from me tomorrow, would make me feel like I don't have any worth, like I don't have any value, like I don't matter? Because once you can identify that, then you can identify what you're actually placing your trust and your confidence in that is smaller than Jesus. Paul says, this, this list, I used to find my identity in who I was. I used to find my identity in my accomplishments. I used to find my identity 
in what I did. And Paul says it's all worthless now because of the excellence of Christ. We try to rescue ourselves on a, on a daily basis and we try to gain the approval and the acceptance of others around us. You know, we try to prove ourselves on a daily basis. We try, we try to accomplish things to feel important so that people res- will respect us. And we try to validate our existence and generate for ourselves worth and meaning and value by what we do and who we think we can become. But then Paul says in verse 8, he says, Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Basically what Paul's saying, like, listen, listen, everything... Everything that you need, everything that you need, all of the worth, all of the validation, all of the fulfillment, all of the acceptance and the love that you crave and that you're seeking in a thousand other places is already yours in Christ. And I want to tell you this because a lot of times we think that our identity and our worth and our value comes from other people and comes from other relationships and comes from who we are outside the walls of the church come, comes from our, our work, comes from our relationship status. You know, we, we think we're at the top when we're dating someone that's really respected and that's awesome. And then we lose that relationship and our value drops. You know, our job and our paycheck is awesome, but then we get laid off and then our value goes from here to here. And we continue to find our identity and base our worth off of who we are and what we do and what relationship we're in. But Paul says, listen, Those circumstances are going to change, and who you are and your identity is not in someone else. It is not in what you do. It is not in your job. Your identity is found in Jesus Christ alone and what he did for you on the cross. That is your identity. That is who you are. That is your purpose. That's where you find value. That's where you find worth. And in verse 8, he says, I consider all this rubbish. You know, I'm not a a huge, huge fan of that word rubbish. You know, it's what Simon Cowell says on America's Got Talent. It was absolute and utter rubbish. You know, I hate that word. Rubbish, it's the Greek word skubalon, and it actually means poop, right? It actually means animal dung, excrement. He says, he says this list here, my Jewish pedigree, I consider it like worthless garbage compared to the excellence of knowing Christ. All of my religious efforts, my accomplishments, I consider it worthless. And then in verse 10, In verse 10, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He says, I want to know Christ. All right, have you ever um, stalked someone on social media? Come on now, don't lie to me. Come on now. You did today. You did today. And you're sitting next to them right now. This is awkward. I stalked you on Instagram today, and now I'm sitting next to you. Listen, you know, we, a lot of times through social media, we think we know people. You know, you, you can know a lot about a lot of people, but it doesn't mean that you actually know them. All right, when Paul says, I want to know Christ, he's talking about experiencing Christ. Because he says, I want to know his power, and I want to know his suffering. 
Right now, it's like, I, I want to know God's power. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. But suffering, Paul, I'm not so sure about that one. Paul says, listen, I, I don't want to just know Christ. I just want to have a knowledge of him, but I want to experience him. I want to experience his power. I want to experience the fellowship of his suffering. I want to know Jesus Christ. And then in verse 12, he says, not that I've already, already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on. I want you to listen to this verbiage here. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In those three verses there, 12, 13, and 14, he says, I press on, I'm reaching forward, and I press toward. I press on, I'm reaching forward, I press toward. Now, why is, why is Paul, you know, wanting to move on here? Why is he just wanting to press on in life? Why is he wanting to move forward here? The idea of moving on, pressing forward, kind of forgetting your past here, it reminds me of Genesis chapter 19. You know, Genesis chapter 19, where um, Lot and his family, uh, they're living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God, because of the sin that has so permeated that city, he says, listen, Lot and your family, you're a righteous group. I want you to head out of town because I'm going to destroy this city because of the sin that has just so filled and permeated the city. So Lot and his family, they're, they're leaving. But God says, listen, one thing, though, don't look back. Keep moving ahead. Don't look back. Because when you do look back, the consequence was being turned into a pillar of salt. And so Lot and his family, they uh, keep moving out of the city. As God is destroying this city, uh, Lot and his family, they don't look back, well, except his wife. So Lot's wife, she looks back, the Bible says. And in the Hebrew, when it says that she looks back, it's not, it, it's, it's not a phrase in the Hebrew, like she looks back is three words in our English, but in the Hebrew, it's one word, it's the Hebrew word navat. And it doesn't mean just to glance real quick, but it means to gaze with longing. She, she couldn't move forward. She was gazing with longing on all that she was leaving behind. All right, so if you're, a, if you're a car lover, it's the way you look at that brand new model car on the showroom floor, just to gaze with longing. All right, if you're a puppy lover, if you're a dog lover, it's the way you look at that brand new cute little puppy in the, in the, in the window there. All right, it, it was the way my wife first looked at me when we first met. <laughs> just kidding. It's reversed. It's the way my dad looks at Krispy Kreme donuts, okay? Just gazes with longing. Right, Paul here, he says, listen, in life, you got to move on. You can't, you can't keep looking back at your past. And why, what does this have to do with identity? Because you have to know Paul's story here. Before Paul was a believer, you know, he was even responsible for uh, participating in, in killing uh, a Christian, Stephen, in the book of Acts. You know, can you imagine? Put yourself in Paul's shoes here. Paul participated in that. The Bible doesn't say that he actually threw the stones at Stephen, but he held their jackets and he watched as people were throwing stones at Stephen. It says that he then left Jerusalem and he, his mission and his whole goal was to destroy Christianity. That's what the Bible says in Galatians. You have to think about Paul's past and the shame and the scars that Paul carried along with himself. And then he comes here to the Philippian church. He says, listen, I just got to press on. I got to move forward. I got to keep going. Listen, a lot of you are stuck 
in life because you have not let go of something stupid or shameful from your past. And it is prohibiting you from moving forward in your relationships with God because you can't get over that stupid, shameful mistake. Listen, Paul is telling the believers here, he's like, you know my life, and I've got to press on. I've got to move forward. I've got to keep reaching toward the goal for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's why Paul says in verse 20, he talks about heaven and his future. He says in verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to even subdue all things to himself. Paul's talking about his future in Christ. He's talking about his eternity in the Lord. And he says, listen, if you keep looking back on your past, and if you keep feeling and mulling over the shame and the guilt of your past mistakes and shameful things that you've done, it's going to prohibit you, prohibit you from moving forward in the Lord. And so this is the last principle I want us to, that was a previous question I should have clicked on, but this is what I want you guys to understand is you cannot let your past hinder the future you have in Christ. Press on in your relationships with Christ. Press on in the Lord and with your relationships with him. All right, maybe, maybe it wasn't something shameful from your past, but maybe it was a hurt relationship or maybe it was uh, just something that you, you constantly think back on because it was a difficult time in your life. And again, I don't want to trivialize those difficulties that we've gone through, but if we continue to think on and mull over and our minds are always consumed with things that we did or uh, difficult times that we went through because of breakups or job losses and we continue just to bring our past into our future and it just stunts our growth in Christ because we can't get over the shame that we've, we've, we, we have, we can't get over the, the, the guilt that we continue to hold on to. Listen, repent of that, turn from it, give your life to Christ, because in Christ there is newness of life. Paul says in the New Testament, for all of those who are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. We have to continue to press on in the Lord. I just want to encourage you with that tonight, because there are things in my past, shameful things that I carried regret over, and I continued in my relationship with the Lord to Ask for forgiveness of something that the Lord had told me, I've already forgiven you. You've come to me from that. You've repented of that. You need to press on with me. You need to move forward. I want to take you other places. I want to do brand new things in your life. I want to continue to walk through this life with you. But the more I continue just to carry my shameful past with me into that, that's already been forgiven by God because I gave it to him, it's going to stunt our growth and it's going to prohibit us from moving forward into the new relationships and the new opportunities that God wants to take you to. So give it to the Lord tonight. Maybe that's you. And maybe you've brought something here that you've been hanging on to for years, months, weeks, years. And you continue to take that to the Lord and you just continue to hold on to that guilt and shame. Listen, if you are in Christ and you've turned from your sin and you've given it to the Lord, the Bible says that while we were still sinners, he died for us. If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Give it to the Lord. Move on in your relationship with him and press on. He has beautiful things for your future. 
Press on in your relationship with the Lord because you can already claim your new identity in him. That's why Paul talks about his citizenship in in heaven. He says, my beautiful citizenship in heaven awaits for me. So he talks about his future here. You can already claim that inheritance for yourself in Christ Jesus if you know him, if you've come into that relationship with him. So those are simple principles from tonight that I want us to hear. Find your identity not in who you are, but who uh, but in who Christ is. Don't find joy in your circumstances because circumstances change, but find your true joy in a never-changing God. And then don't let your past hinder your future in Christ. He has beautiful plans for you. Walk in newness of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Go with him to wherever he leads you. And you're going to have a, a wonderful experience following Christ in that joy and in that adventure with him as long as you just leave that past behind where God left it and continue to press on in your relationship with him. Amen? Lord, we love you, and we're grateful for your, your word, Lord. Philippians chapter 3, beautiful passage in Scripture, Lord. I pray that these principles, these questions, would resonate in our minds and in our hearts, Lord, throughout this week. We love you, God. We give you the rest of our week. Uh, just pray that you would bless us. Go before us, Lord. Bless our families. Uh, bless our, our parents, our, our relationships, our friendships. Our brothers and sisters, Lord, bless this ministry, our, our unity. May it be found in you, God. I pray for anyone who has is, who is brought something from their past uh, into their future, Lord. I pray that they would give it to you, that they would commit it to you, that they would turn from it, and that you would just be faithful to forgive, and that then we would just move on in Christ, that we would press on in life. Despite our difficulty, despite our past, Lord, that we would press on in our relationships with you, God. Walk with us. Teach us, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. May we be just found pure before you, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.